I'm Phil Parker and welcome to the Children's Films Forever Forgotten session which is looking at where we are in the UK and Europe on the future of children's filmmaking and key issues around improving that scenario. As you can see we have four speakers uh, on the slide and actually on the panel in person. Justin on my left from the BFI, next to him Viola from Kids Regio, next to that Robert uh, from Space Age and at the very end Dave from Arman Animation. Our plan is basically to do uh, a series of small talks with a, a couple of questions from me in between, it, with the aim of giving you about 20 minutes at the end of the session where you'll get the chance to sort of fire up questions to the panel and, and hopefully start a good dialogue. Now, to put all this in context so that people are aware of the scale of what we're doing at the moment and where we stand, children's film worldwide is worth a billion pounds roughly a year. This is what it's worth in the UK for these two age groups uh, in 2012. And as you can see, you know, the UK part of that box office was roughly 18% for the 7 to 14-year-olds and 12% for the 15 to 24-year-olds. So a lot of space for growth, a lot of space for growth in terms of claiming a percentage more of box office. When we come into 2013, these were the four films where children under, well, human beings under 18 basically form more than 30% of the audience. So it gives you some idea of what youngsters are actually going to the cinema to see at the moment. That's the choice they have. We could be doing a lot more, I suspect. And this is what the BFI is contributing last year. As you can see, you know, obviously the heaviest part is in production. For those who don't know the Vision Awards, these are block awards given to four companies. Uh, to invest in their overall approach to generating work. And the overall percentage of the <coughs> spend for the BFI is currently 15%, which is, a, is up on a couple of years ago, so it's moving in the right direction. And without further ado, I'll hand you over to Justin and explain what is actually happening at the BFI at the moment and the consultation he's running. Um, thank you, Phil. Yeah, um, it would just be very useful before I send thing, um, just to know if many of you, if any of you were at the event at BAFTA at the end of March, just so I know whether I'm kind of repeating myself or whether I could just put your hand up if you were at the BAFTA event. Okay, there are some, not a huge number. So I'll, I'll just very quickly just um, outline where I've got to where I am and, and what the piece of work I'm doing um, at the moment is. I've, I've worked at the BFI for a very long time and um, one of uh, my responsibilities is looking after uh, programming for kind of children of families and younger audiences, both for BFI South Bank and for the um, London Film Festival in October. Um, so I watch a lot of material, particularly from all over the world. And um, one thing that has constantly been a sort of disappointment, if you like, is the fact that I haven't really had a huge number of UK family films that I've been able to um, kind of either sort of, you know, sort of promote or talk about with kind of colleagues from uh, different festivals around the world. And, and there's obviously um, um, you know, a real lack of material coming out of the UK. I wouldn't say necessarily it's as bad as everybody probably thinks it is because there are some, you know, there are some films that are made in the UK and have UK money that people don't necessarily think are, um, um, are UK films. Um, but, but nevertheless, there's definitely a, a huge room for, um, for, for growth in that area. Um, the BFI took over the film fund from the Film Council a few years ago. And um, one of, and I was one of the people sort of internally at the BFI kind of lobbying to make sure that money could be spent uh, on more family films moving forward. And actually one of the good things about the statistics that Phil just showed us a moment ago is actually there has been a, a growth in terms of what has been spent already. So um, um, the figure that, that Phil showed on there from the, the 20, uh, 2013 slide um, shows quite a large amount in terms of the um, production uh, budget, so to speak, um, and, and the reason for that is because, is because those films had come out of the money that had been spent on the sort of development side. So, so basically, at the moment, um, I think there's about £20 million pounds a year that the film fund has to kind of play around with, um, and it's uh, 16 um, for production and four for development. Um, there are, I think at the moment, on the books in terms of live projects that the BFI has invested money in, I think it's about 22 films, of which, um, and I think about, it's just under five million has been spent now. Um, so there are a lot of films in early stages of development, some in 
um, are sort of you know sort of further progressed. And there are now, and this is where the sort of the, the, the sort of the production money has come from. There are four films which I kind of did talk a little bit about at the event in March, which are going to be released over the next twelve months, um, which have had you know in some cases you know significant amount of money in terms of like you know sort of one of them has had a million um, of, of production money, and another I think about nine hundred thousand. Um, but the expectation now is that out of those remaining 18 projects, that some of those now, as each year comes up, will start to, sort of to come into fruition. Um, so I'm doing a piece, of, um, a piece of research for the Film Fund in terms of trying to look at what the BFI should be doing, if anything, to try and sort of stimulate the industry, to try and promote um, and encourage people to make more family films, and what we should be doing in terms of making uh, money available for family films. Um, and... The plan at the moment is that uh, the London Film Festival this October, um, I will have finished um, the piece of research I'm doing and we will try and organise an event of some sort where we talk about what some of the sort of findings are. And I've spent a lot of um, this year talking to different people in the industry and, um, and, and, and trying to get some of the answers to some of the questions. Um, Phil suggested it might be useful just for me to, to talk about what some of the sort of issues seem to be at the moment in terms of um, some of the sort of conversations and so forth that we've had. Um, I mean, I think there's, there's definitely a feeling in the industry at the moment that family films are, on one hand, I think people see them as being quite important in terms of you know, a lot of people have kids and a lot of people recognise that they are um, you know, the filmmakers of tomorrow and, um, and obviously you know, the people who um, you know, we want to, um, to make more sort of cine-literate, cine if you like. Um, but actually, when it comes to sort of putting their money where their mouth is, um, the industry doesn't take family films in the UK very seriously at all. And in fact, the films that are being made tend, are tending to come out of companies that have been more experienced in terms of TV rather than sort of from film backgrounds. And there are lots of potential reasons for that. Um, um, partly, um, one of the things that I kind of question is whether the actual film students that are being sort of brought through the system are being trained to believe that they should all be great auteurs and they should be looking for, you know, sort of more sort of, um, um, very sort of particular style of filmmaking and film and family films just don't register at all. And I, and, and I look kind of with envy at countries like the Nordic countries and Netherlands and Germany, who now over a period of time have really grown the family film industry and made it a very serious prospect, a very serious financial prospect, and. Um, and, and it's something that um, is, is now generating strong domestic box office. Um, there are lots of kind of issues um, that I think people overlook in terms of um, family films is that, that long term they can often be more profitable than other films. They've got a much longer shelf life. Um, and in fact, when you look at kind of um, performance data, actually family films do generate um, you know, they, they do generate a very, you know, a very sort of strong return, and there are some people who, who who believe that actually, you know, the sector is so well serviced internationally by America with the amount of products that's coming up, or they believe that actually, in terms of those main holiday times where family films come out, um, and the sort of the having to compete with the studios who've got so much money to spend that it's almost not worth doing that. And I have spoken to a number of in the industry who have absolutely said that, you know, family programming is a very, family film uh, funding is very is a very niche market it's um it's it's something that is already very well tailored for but i guess it's that kind of um that thing about you know the, the, the diet isn't it it's, it's about you know it's great to have um you know sort of popcorn and sweets on one hand but equally you know you, you need to kind of level it out and it's about um and 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 so so, so i know that we haven't got a lot of time have we? i've got so much i can say really um but um so so there are lots of questions that i'm asking about sort of you know sort of actually what we should be doing in the UK in terms of you know, sort of culturally valuable are the films that we're making in the UK at the moment the sort of films that Vertigo are producing like All Stars or Pudsey the Dog or Horrid Henry um, or Street Dance um, you know they, they seem to be performing well at the very well at the box office as is Nativity and there are other sort of family films that UK is producing but actually you know are, are we actually you know sort of creating the right balance um, films like Selfish Giant, which Clio Bernard had absolutely intended to be a family film, has been given a 15, you know, it's got a 15 certificate. Um, some people agree with that, some people don't. But, um, but you know, are there more of those kind of films, more kind of culturally relevant, sort of reflective of diversity in the UK in terms of reflecting, you know, sort of UK um, as, as, um, as, um, as, it, as, it, as it should be seen? You know, is there more that we can do? And I think just, just to sort of to, to wrap up, some of the sort of issues that are coming out are very much a lot of the people who have been involved, say, in children's TV and are professionals in that area and really want to move into film find and are very um, experienced professionals in that area. 
find um, moving to film financing is a completely different kettle of fish and find that extremely difficult. And in fact, there really aren't that many channels of film financing available in the UK. You know, there's, there's BBC Films and Film 4 um, who have a certain amount of money but don't put an awful lot of that into family films. There's the BFI and then there are other sort of smaller funds. So there's a real kind of mystery around that. I think there's an issue around marketing, um, around the fact that um, there are distributors who are not experienced in, in promoting family films um, and perhaps there's a sort of feeling that because so much money is available um, from the, sort of, you know, the Disneys and the, um, and the Universals and so forth who are buying up all the bus sides and all the TV spaces that actually how do you compete with that so I think there's a real thing around sort of actually you know most um, kids are very sort of um, 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 literate in terms of social media and other um, and, and other forms of marketing, they're much more um, savvy than we give them credit for. So there are lots of other alternative ways of marketing that perhaps we should be looking at and and, and helping people with. So um, I'm, as I say, I'm very aware of time. I don't yeah, know. No, that, no, that, does that kind of start to give? If them? that covers all the key points, I think that would be brilliant. The one thing, I mean, obviously across the board there. The one thing that we didn't have any figures for was the fact there is a, a serious marketing and distribution fund now at, the, at the BFI that one assumes could be pulled into a strategy yep. for children's film, which would start answering that last point. Absolutely, that yeah. would be yeah, a, that's, that's true. A, that would be a serious way in which to actually sort of start integrating the whole children's strategy in that sense, looking at that fund as well. And there, yeah, there is money available from that, but actually, I think a lot of it it's not just about money. I think it's about training. It, and yeah, it's and about, it's who's doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. I take your point totally about the lack of experience in distribution. Dave, do you want to pick up on that to some extent? Because of all the people here, you've got the most experience in trying to get family feature films out from the UK context. And yeah. Like, do you want to take the click? Yeah, and see I mean, Justin's touched on all the right points there. I think just to... Um, we're going through a transition at the moment, Ardman, from our, our Hollywood-based studio funding um, arrangement for our feature films to an indie model. Um, so let's just remind ourselves what we did. So that sort of encapsulates, I think, the issue. Um, you know, the, the, the TV model. So we had two Hollywood studio relationships, one with DreamWorks, that lasted about a decade, and one with Sony. That was about five years. Um, we were effectively a subset of those studios working in the UK. I mean, to the extent that both... Well, Flushed Away was actually made at DreamWorks and Arthur Christmas was made at Sony. We had people in the UK working on it, but the bulk of heavy lifting was done in their studios. And, of course, that gave us... You know, a hunt, you were basically, as a subset. Uh, we had 100% funding for both the development and the production and, of course, the P&A spend. And they will spend on P&A like there's no tomorrow, particularly DreamWorks, who have a fantastic marketeer by the name of Jeffrey Katzenberg. Um, and he is a fantastic marketeer. He's, he's extraordinary what he does. But we also had the gain of... Uh, a bigger skill set, and I think that's what we learned when we went with DreamWorks. The quality, they'd come out of Amblimation, they'd taken half the Amblimation staff out of the UK, Steven Spielberg's team that worked here. About half of those went to LA. They were very deep dyed by the time we rolled into DreamWorks. Um, and you know, people like storyboard artists, editors, editors, and of course their own executives, their own development executives, and at the top there was, there was Jeffrey, who actually have to say, in terms of spotting problems with the story in the film, is great. Uh, very, very, very sharp indeed. Um, and so we found ourselves in this extraordinary kind of milieu of very deep-dyed filmmakers, which for us was brilliant, learned a hell of a lot. Um, they know what their kind of market position is, uh, they know how to market globally. That's their that's their business plan. It's you know it's changed from what used to be about 50% USA, 50% global to 30% US to 70% global. So they have you know these and, and as China and India have opened up, they're rolling into those territories in a major way. So you're, you're you know, it is a bit of a Faustian pact. You're buying into that mechanism. It means, in terms of stories, of course, you're probably being swinging towards a more American-style, more universal story, and we're, we're very much kind of British and have a sort of British sensibility. Um, 
And it's a different model in terms of budget because they are they're more of a gam they're more gamblers. They've got enough money to make losses and they'll stand up again and carry on. Very different model to the indie model that we're moving on to. You know, their business plan, you know, DreamWorks' business plan, pretty well every movie they put out at the animation division has to make kind of 300 million worldwide. That's sort of almost de facto. If your films aren't going to do that, they don't get made. It's almost as simple as that. And in fact, in fact, when they went public, that was one of the reasons why our deal came to an end. Uh, our films are always going to play to a smaller, a smaller, more niche audience. They've got great legs. I mean, they, they play on TV all the time. People love them. But in terms of that American model of a sort of huge, in a way, a gatling gun of marketing, uh, they don't quite bring the bacon home in the way that American studios want. Uh, Sony was, very, in a way, very similar. Uh, different set of people different politics, uh, quite different politics actually, um, and less, less editorial input until you get quite a long way down the line. But again, a very interesting relationship studio that's putting out about 24 movies a year. So the animation bit is quite small for them, uh, completely different approach to marketing, huge marketing teams um, dealing with all those movies that they, they put out. Uh, DreamWorks, they were only putting out one, maximum two movies a year. So their marketing team is very, very focused on your film when it's ready to go it's your film they're really really focused on and i think and that was a not a wake-up call but it's just a different it's a different approach they are all the studios operate in a different way and it takes a while <coughs> to understand how they do operate um as you see we are now putting out a sean the sheep in the middle of shooting the sean the sheep movie which comes out next spring next late in the winter we've we're now an independent filmmaker it's a very different model we've been seduced by hollywood drank the kool-aid uh and now we're in this world where independent finance for particularly development. We were just talking earlier, that bit of it, it's a long haul to get an animated feature film up to compete with the Warners, the Sonys, the DreamWorks, the Pixars. That development process, the whole process is about five years to, to, to release. About 18 months of that is production. The rest of it is rewriting and rewriting and redrawing. And you get to a point where, particularly when you're doing story or storyboarding, you, you might have quite a big team of storyboard artists on board. Clearly, you would hopefully green light the show way before you get to that stage. But there'll probably be a couple of years of pretty intense kind of writing and designing uh, before you think actually this film's ready to go. That costs quite a lot of money. And that's the, that's, that money came easily, obviously, with DreamWorks and Sony. That's the very hard bit to find here to get to that level uh, of script. Um, so the indie model, that's the issue. Um, production finance, the classic indie, indie model of, it's more of a patchwork quilt. Can you get it? Sean the Sheep is being funded by, it's a much lower budget than the other films you saw on the reel. Um, Studio Canal came on board, which is great. So it, it's, it's actually fully funded without, without the state, the United States being on board. We haven't sold it to a distributor yet. We will do, but we don't need them to be on board at this moment because the film is actually fully funded. There's obviously P&A spent to be put into that. What's uh, the budget? Okay. It's about 20, 22 million dollars. It's uh, not 15 million quid, something of that order. So the other films, you are, they are three or four times that, that amount. So the, and of course with Sean the Sheep, an awful lot of the prep work was already done. The characters were designed, the world was designed, we knew how the world worked. We kind of broadly knew how the relationships work. So over having made 140 episodes, you kind of, right, this is, this is, we really get that world. The films obviously have got to have a bigger scale and tell a different sort of tale, but that some of that fundamental hard graft of how do these characters interact, what are the tensions, and how do you get the comedy out of them, that bit we knew really, really well. So you're saving a chunk of development time because actually it's come out of a, 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 sort of a franchise, effectively. Um, and that probably saved us, well, at least, at least a year and a half, I would think, in terms of that development process. Um, being able to land that world very, very quickly indeed. Um, in a way, to Justin's point, you know, there is a skills shortage here, not just the craft skills. I think in the, in the development skills, uh, how, have we got enough people in the country that really know how you take a film, an idea, to that high level that can compete at that on that plane? It doesn't necessarily need those big budgets, but you want an audience to enjoy it in the same way and have the same response to it and the, and the film to have long legs and go through all the, all the various platforms over its seven or eight years of, of its life. Um, 
engaging stories. You know, the audience are seeing extremely well-crafted stories on the screen when they see those big American films. They are incredibly well-crafted on the whole, and beautifully made. That's what the expectation is, and you can't deliver below that. That's sort of, in a way, the key issue. Um, so you don't necessarily need to spend all that money on production, but you do need a bloody good story. Um, clearly, you know, we are playing probably more out what we've realised over the years. We're playing more to a European market than an American market. We have big markets actually in Asia and Japan. So in a way, we are sort of Europe and the East focused rather than Europe and the West and, and, the, and, and America, which I think it took us a long time to realise why, why don't American audience see our films? You know, why don't we go and see Norwegian films? Um, that's what you're up against. You, there is a market for Norwegian films in the UK, but it's not as big as the market for English films in the UK. <coughs> it's a sort of de facto thing. You go into the Midwest, it's a long way from anywhere. It's very, very American. Anything, a lot of stuff seems pretty foreign, even if it's only come from the next state. Um, yes, and I think, yes, the marketing side, I think in, as you go in looking at the, the UK scene, uh, have we got companies that know how to get a film out there in the marketplace in, in that family space um, have they got the firepower and again the Hollywood studios spend a lot of money buses bus shelters TV ads um, I mean America alone way back Jeffrey spent a ton of money one Sunday evening just to get chicken run in front of people the week before the release um, it was an extraordinary amount of money to get it as you as you kind of effectively roadblocked it in other words whenever you clicked on a channel at an ad break between like the hours of seven, seven and eight or so on a Sunday, you would hit a chicken, a chicken run trailer. Now, I dread to think how much that cost. It helped, it certainly got people into the theatres the following Thursday, but I don't think anybody would do that here who just haven't got the kind of, the, 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 either the, the balls to do it or need the cash to do it um, to get your film sort of visible. So, yeah, so issues of, you know, budget, finding money, issues of budgets. Um, <coughs> And I think this comes down to understanding the value of the film in the marketplace. So what we are now doing is, where's this going to sit in the marketplace? What do we think the returns are going to be? With a reasonable following win, but being moderately pessimistic, what, so fold that back into the, the budget. What does that mean in terms of where the budget needs to be? And can we make the film for that budget? We need to make it for that budget. So what does that mean in terms of what the film needs to look like? And are there things that you can you need to script to those budgets so it's kind of reverse engineering to make sure that you that the film will at least break even even if it does any moderately well that's sort of the game plan because we haven't got the war chests to dig into if the films lose money oh we'll just start again we we'll just get get out of war chest another few million quid we'll just start again no ideally we want to be in a self-sustaining uh, position so folding the budgets back into that that assessment of what its true market value is and that's quite a complex thing to do actually particularly um, you know there's a magic figure rolling around Hollywood and elsewhere like 40 million dollars is sort of the magic figure everybody's saying can you can you make animated movies for 40 million dollars it's quite hard yes you absolutely you can absolutely you can but it's interesting how many studios in, in LA we talk to around some of the other projects we've gone where they said you make it for 40 million dollars and you're on anything above that it seemed to be too much for risk and I think in the UK and we'll probably talk about this again because of that what can be a five-year timeline for the financiers that's quite a long period in which they're going to get their money back and they may not get their money back for five years they may actually only get it back in years seven and eight when it's gone through its second cycle gone through box office gone through TV gone, do, gone down the other the other platforms so for anybody putting up a few million quid it's quite a risk they'll see it as a risk we would see it as not a risk, being a producer, bound to say that. But actually, from a financier's point of view, where they're normally looking for a three-year exit, it doesn't calculate for them. So there's an issue about the funding thing. And again, in Hollywood, there's a, you know, they understand these are long-term plans, so the money's there and the studios have, have huge war chests. Um, I'm going to stop there. That, that's cool. Now, Robert, you're going to pick up on this yeah. as... And it literally is small indie as opposed to yes. the one with a track <coughs> record coming indie. into... Me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, that, that's me. So a, a bit of backstory. Space Age Films, I set it up five years ago, having worked as a, a freelance um, producer, writer, director in television, a bit of radio. And then I ran an animation studio uh, in London for five years. And that kind of gave me what I needed to, to feel I could go out on my own. I currently have four films on the slate and, and two television series. Um, 
And the case study we'll look at today is the Canterville Ghost, which is an $18 million. I'm sorry we talk about uh, dollars all the time, but you end up, it's, it, that's how you have to do it. It's an £11 um, million pound film, as opposed to an $18 million movie, uh, produced and animated in the UK. We have a nice cast, and that makes a huge difference. Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Freddie Highmore. Imelda Staunton, Toby, and, and Miranda Hart's first film. We haven't yet cast it in the US because you, at the calibre we're going, and, and we're, you know, we're talking to Tom Hanks, you, you simply cannot really make them an offer until the budget's fully raised. The agent won't even um, let their uh, uh, clients look at it. Fortunately, Stephen knows Tom, so they had a conversation over dinner. Um, we have Blue Zoo animating it in the UK, and Lionsgate came on board and, and, and bought the UK rights, which has been terrific for us. Content Media is handling the sales in the US and around the world, and it's been supported from the outset by the BFI. They've actually been quite wonderful on this film, um, getting in right from the beginning, and, and quite in, intrigued by what it meant to set up a, a British animated feature film. Um, and I think the intrigue is what they, what, why they first bought into it, which was quite nice. Uh, and they've since followed up the development funding with some production funding. We're aiming to release it um, for Halloween 2016. And, and there's a sort of key image from it of, of Sir Simon, um, the, the Canterville ghost. When we first announced it, an animator came up to me and said, well, fantastic, I suppose that goes to show all you really need is a good story. Uh, and I think what I'd like to impart today is, is that um, I wish, yeah. Um, before I take any film out, or, or any, of, any of us really, we have to package the film. You, 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 and, and for that, I, this is what I put together. I, I put together a treatment, which is usually about three pages. has to read well, has to read exciting, quite visual. Uh, a screenplay to back it up. A lot of people won't read the screenplay. They'll read the treatment. They'll pretend they've read the screenplay. But unless the screenplay's there, they, they won't want to invest. And, and the screenplay's crucial. You simply cannot go out unless you have that screenplay. And, and, and like Dave was saying, it's not, it's not something you can write quickly. It has to be worked. It has to be as good as you can get it, because people will never read a screenplay twice. So make it the best you can before you take it out there, and that takes time and money. If it's an animated film, you simply have to show people what the world is, especially for a film like this, where the world doesn't exist. Obviously, with Sean, you know, there's, there's a sense of that already existing. On Canterville, we spent a fair bit of money creating the characters, designing the world so that anybody that we were pitching to, essentially an investor or a distributor, would know what that world was going to look like when anybody bought a ticket. Um, and, and my pitch to, to the Americans on, on this film was, was Downton Abbey Gets Haunted, and they, they got that immediately. <laughs> to, to distributors, it was Pixar does, does, does Oscar Wilde, so that they got a sense of the quality of the film, uh, you know, just by name-checking Pixar. But of course, making a film that looks like a Pixar film in the UK isn't easy. The talent's here, but the money isn't. Um, and so when you are um, packaging the film, you're really showing people who's going to make the film, which is the next point, the key production team. Uh, get your producers lined up, your exec producers who may be financiers. Get a, a director, obviously. Get a good team together, because essentially you're making a pitch to a bank manager, and he or she wants to know where the money's going, who's going to spend it, have they done it before, are they going to look after the money, and that's why the team is quite important. Try to put uh, casting suggestions if you can. If you can attach a cast, fantastic. It does make a difference on an animated feature. Even though it's going to be um, dubbed when it goes uh, outside of the English-speaking languages, the, um, the cast sort of sets the bar for how distributors, foreign distributors see your film. And so it's quite important that they get a sense of the calibre of the cast and, and, and it allows them to feel that it's going to be an important movie. That all goes hand-in-hand hand with a thoroughly worked-out budget. I, I do not recommend pitching a film to anybody until you know exactly how much it's going to cost. Um, and, and that is as, as important as the artwork and, and as the screenplay. You'll end up only showing them the top sheet, but you have to have the backing of knowing uh, exactly where the money's going. Uh, and that is, is allied usually to a finance plan, which is really a plan that shows where the money's coming from, how you're putting it together, how you're going to make that budget and make it work. And for heaven's sake, make sure it's legally watertight. Uh, chain of title's crucial. Don't think you can deal with it later because you haven't spoken to the author yet and you, you've got a personal relationship and they're going to um, say yes. Um, make sure you own the rights to whatever you take out. Because God forbid we should write an original screenplay. You know, it's hard enough, but nearly always it's an adaptation. Uh, which is a bit of a bugbear of mine. I'd, I'd like to make original films all the time, but it's virtually impossible. Um, because of all that, I would say that the key thing for me um, 
what I've learned really and like to impart is choose your partners. It's really important that you have good partners. Uh, you may be able to handle the creative aspects, you may be able to handle the business aspects, but you need a team of people that can handle both excellently. And until you have that, um, you're not ready. So, so make sure you, you choose people well. Uh, there were two routes, I'll, I'll rattle through this quite quickly, but with Canterville we had a full start. I mean, we've been on it four years now, and that's why the five-year thing is, 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 is right. So the first route was, it was, we began to animate it in Canada. When we started four years ago, I would say that for us, there wasn't an animation studio <coughs> in the UK that, that was willing to handle Canterville, or, or that was able to. When I say willing, there were certain big animation studios in, in London uh, who felt it was beneath them because the budget was too low, even though we were pitching it at $30 million, which is crazy. Um, so we, 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 the, the first route was this. It started at Jer Jerry Hibbert's studio in London. Hibbert Ralph put private money into it, which allowed us to get things going with the treatment and the characters. The BFI, God bless them, put money into the screenplay, allowed me to employ two writers, and, and we worked on that for maybe six months. Got a good screenplay. The screenplay we used to attract Stephen Fry. He was always our barometer because we wanted him in the film and we figured he was the great Oscar Wilde ambassador. If Stephen liked it, we knew we'd done okay. Stephen loved it uh, and offered to be part of the company that made it. And, and that made a huge difference because Stephen is terrific. He, he's put everything into it. He's an exec producer on the film. He's my, my partner in the film company. And of course, he has a fantastic address book where I don't really want to undervalue. Uh, sound legal and, and auditing teams come on board. It doesn't cost us anything. We've had meetings with them. Lee and Thompson, anyone in the film industry will know them. Shipless, same again. Get these people involved. You're not paying them at this stage, but you're getting a, a good team together. Bob & Co is a small private, uh, it's, it's a couple of years uh, old now, but uh, they heard about the film and approached us, and they've been terrific, offering financial advice. Uh, helping put the finance plan together and raising investment. And quite importantly, they put a, a fair amount of money into that development stage above the screenplay because it's animated. It's less important if it's a family film that isn't animated, but if it is animated, like I was saying earlier, you have to show people the world that people are buying when they, when they buy a ticket. So we, we spent a fair bit of that money on artwork, posters, making it look like it was really going to happen, sort of thing. Uh, got our cast attached. That was easier, having Stephen involved, of course. Um, and then got a production bond, the BFI, we started talking to them now, okay, we've done the development work, let's see what you would put into this film uh, to make it uh, for the production budget. At that point, it was 30 million, and we were animating in Toronto at Arc Studios, who, who made Nomeo and Juliet, and a film by Shane Acker called Nine, which is actually why I went there in the first place, because I thought they were quite good. Um, one of the things the BFI did, which at the time we thought was a, a hurdle, and it was, was they said, we won't give you any money unless you get a UK distributor. And we thought, oh, crikey, how are we going to do that? Um, we can't afford to make a teaser, which is you know, really what you want for a, an animation. But we met with uh, several distributors, and... and Thank the Lord, Lionsgate came on board um, and, and, and bought the film, uh, bought the, quite a nice price for the UK rights only, but that allowed us to go back to the BFI and say, we've done that, and, and they uh, advanced, well, no, they didn't advance, they gave us a letter of intent to put money in, into the film at a, a fairly uh, reasonable amount. Then uh, the Canadian investor who was putting in a chuckload of money pulled out. And so route two was, we thought, oh, crikey, what are, we, what are we going to do now? Well, in a way, what happened over the, th the three or four years was that the UK animation industry developed, partly uh, thanks to the, the tax breaks uh, that we, we were campaigning for. Ollie Hyatt at Blue Zoo got an MBE recently for his campaigning, so it pays off to campaign. Um, and, but the, the, the UK tax breaks gave uh, the sort of animation industry uh, infrastructure back to it. We were going to Canada and meeting people that we'd been working with in the UK, all the animators there. You know the, the brain drain, and it was quite disheartening. And I was pretending it wasn't, but inside I, I was, it was hurting. And so we, we brought the film back to the UK, reduced <coughs> the budget. And, and one of the reasons we reduced the budget was a because we knew we, we wouldn't um, raise as much, and, and, and b was that we, we were listening to sales agents, and that's quite important. And the sales agents are quite a key to this because there aren't any in the UK that know how to sell animated films. There's one, a, a, a guy called Ralph at Timeless. Do you know, do you know Ralph? Um, but he does one or two films a year. They, they, they didn't feel right for Canterville. We wanted to go above that. But, but there's, there's no sales agent here that, that understands. And so we're having a really hard time finding a sales agent. All the sales agents who were respected live-action um, sales agents were giving us low figures. And with low figures on your, your pre-sales, you can't really raise the money you want. 
So we had that problem. We eventually found one called Content Media. They came on board. We took it to Cannes this year and started doing pre-sales on it. And by now, we were able to sell the story of you know, British animation and the greatness of that. I hope that uh, we can continue to fill that as we, we push. Uh, the green light is now July. Hopefully, the end of this month, we will have our full bu budget raise. But that's still only hopefully. As usual, it could collapse at, at any moment. And it often does. Okay, so I was just going to quickly look at the two forms of funding, really. One is development, the other is production. And, and as Dave was saying, the, what I learned about development is that you do need a lot of money. Um, you have to be honest with yourself, and, and that's quite tough, being honest with yourself. Like when you're in an edit and you say, yeah, we're just going to do this in two hours, and it's six hours. And in, inside, you know it's six hours. And, and so development's the same. You have to be honest with yourself about what it's going to cost. And if you don't have deep pockets, then you have to have access to money. So please don't underestimate the cost, not just the artwork, but, but really all the legal stuff as well. I would say 100000 for each movie, really. Um, and, and while you're doing that and you're raising money and you're selling things in order to get that, be very aware as an independent of what you are giving away in terms of rights. I'm going to skip over the movie star system, only to say that it does help to have a movie star attached. Um, and then there's production funding. And for an independent, in a way, every film, is it's, you start afresh. You can't just go back to the old model. You, you have to build a new one every time, and that can be a bit tiring. Keep your finance plan updated. Be aware of the equity that's coming in, the debt that's, that, that's being offered, what that really costs you. If you're an independent, please get to know your UK tax credit. By bringing the film back to the UK, <coughs> I was able to instantly have £2 million in my pocket just by calculating the UK tax credit. OK, it's not in my pocket, but I know I can go out and get a loan against it, and therefore that part of the finance plan is complete, and you've started raising money already on your film. So do get to learn about the UK tax credit. It's, it's, it, it is pretty good. Um, I don't know why people, more people don't sing its praises, but it's actually rather, rather splendid. Um, get to know your EIS as well. Uh, and this is all part of finding the right partners. But EIS is pretty good. If your film's animated, EIS means you can't get your money back for three years, but that actually fits quite well with uh, making an animated movie. And so that, that can be a good thing. Anybody, anybody putting money into a film as an EIS, even if the film flops, maybe it doesn't get released, they still get 30% tax relief on their investment. So they're never going to lose all of their money. Um, and, 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 you know, get the right sales agent. That's, that, that's almost a seminar in itself. Who is the right sales agent? And, and, and like I say, God bless the BFI Film Fund. Once we came back to the UK, they doubled the amount of money they were putting into Canterville. And it's now a substantial um, amount that they're putting in. And uh, they've been brilliant, I have to say. And good luck if you're going to try it. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Now, now we're going to a completely different other perspective because what we've been looking at here really is like the whole UK setup from both the big players to a small player. And what well, is going to do is take us out into a European context in a brand new initiative out of Germany. But I'll let you fill all that in. Hi. <laughs> I'm Viola Gabrielli, the project manager of Kids Regio, and I'm, I'm afraid I need to slow down a little bit. You are really fast speakers. Sorry. I'm not British, so... I'm it in. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, does anyone know about Kids Regio? <coughs> Who knows about Kids Regio? Oh, yes, they are the ones that <laughs> participated the two weeks ago's conference. Um, I just take the opportunity to say a few words, and I'm afraid you have heard some parts of it already. Um, Kids Regio has been established in 2008 as a lobby initiative to strengthen children films in Europe. Basically, it's designed for the industry professionals in film for children and youth. It's the brainchild of Cineregio. It's the European network of um, regional film funding institutions. And it's also the brainchild of professionals who have met at the first time at the first Kids Regio conference in 2009 to discuss the future of children films in Europe. Um, Kids Regio dedicates its work to uh, ensure that children in Europe have access to and a wider choice of highest quality films. Our focus lies particularly on live action films for children as we think it's a form of storytelling. Um, we regard them as highly, um, as highly important for the young generation to grow up with and experience, including a variety of genre and styles. Our mission is to provide a platform, uh, discuss synergies and define solutions to improve the state, the profile and also the situation of European co-productions and distributions for children films. 
Um, so basically, we function as a bridge between the different stakeholders uh, within the film and media industry, uh, as well as uh, politics, uh, film, institu uh, film funding institutions, and research. Uh, we closely work together with the Financing Forum for Kids content in Malmö, Sweden, uh, producing an annual opening industry day, an event focused on the industry needs, and particularly discussing marketing and distribution strategies for live-action children films, uh, produced in Europe, of course. <laughs> uh, this year we have organized um, uh, Kids Regio Forum 2014 with the title Children as the Audience from the Perspective of Research and Practice. And we have gathered around 80 professionals within the film industry uh, alongside um, uh, film academics that have met the first time um, at this conference. And um, the aim of of the whole conference was to raise the visibility and profile of and increase in access to children films in all European territories of, uh, for the young target group. And we gathered around, well, 80 participants from 18 different countries who were discussing the whole set and the whole uh, aim. And the forum's program was actually a um, combination of keynotes, best practice presentations, and think tanks. So our focus actually was on the f on this process on and on the work um, in these little think tanks, um, exploring synergies or new strategies to deal with day-to-day -day challenges, basically. Uh, the general work of Kitsuigio is based on a five-point agenda that was identified in 2009 already by the professionals working within the um, uh, films for children um, to stimulate uh, and strengthen live-action children film projects in Europe. And concerning this agenda, uh, we, we are already on the way, we can say, but we haven't reached the goal yet. Um, there are some good news on different levels. Um, on the European level, in 2012, uh, the European Film Academy has established uh, the European Young Audience Award. Have you all heard about that? No? Yes? <laughs> um, within the framework of uh, Young Audience Film Day, which has started in six cities, uh, we have gone into the third year now and could also expand the participation. So this year, actually, there were 17 cities involved, also London and the BFI, um, who have uh, rewarded a European Young Audience Award 2014. Also on the European level, uh, the new Creative Euro program has given a special attention uh, to uh, live action children films within the new distribution scheme in 2014. And of course, a stronger attention is paid to audience <coughs> development and film literacy. And on the national level in Germany, finally, after many, many works of lobbying for children films, we have reached a special attention on funding German children films based on original scripts, which also reached a governmental resolution in 2013. Parallel to that, um, the initiative, the outstanding uh, children film, has been established to stimulate it, um, stimulated by a roundtable that was organizing Kids Regio. And also, um, we were inspired of the Dutch model Cinema Union. Aim of the initiative is uh, to strengthen visibility and profile of children films in Germany and increase the quantity and quality of live action children films which are not based on a best-selling novel, um, but offer original and valuable stories for children from eight to 12 years. Because we had this big issue in Germany uh, with all this family entertainment and adaptions of best-selling novels, so we were having a lot of discussions and uh, now reached that point with this uh, initiative. Um, the initiative is organized by a non-profit association. It's a, an association for the promotion of German children films. Um, so basically, there is a call once a year for producers and writers um, who have to apply together with a treatment. 
And there are two steps uh, regarding the finance of these projects. Uh, first, uh, they hand in the treatment, dialogue suites, and pro uh, producers' um, statement. And the jury selects six of the projects, and each of the projects will receive 20,000 euro for the script development, and uh, each producer gets 5,000 euro. And then, uh, this, uh, this step two, potential financiers come together who would like to, who are interested in one of these projects and uh, choose the two projects um, that uh, have that will be produced and this group of financiers um, they uh, well that, that it also works in two steps first uh, they um, they recommend uh, these uh, to these produ uh, producers how about the budget and what they have to hand in and um, by the participation of uh, of this uh, we have this um, regional fundings in germany and uh, they also have to apply for this so they are discussing with these uh, projects uh, what they, what kind of budget they can apply for and um, and then actually the producer has to hand in uh, the projects at the broadcasters of uh, the funders regular committee so yes furthermore um, there are uh, diverse measures measures to measures to raise the attention for the outstanding uh, films for children for example um, an advanced distribution funding or guaranteed TV slots or a special marketing award and a co cooperation about marketing and communication with the broadcasters. Um, this, is, uh, this slide is quite interesting uh, regarding the budget for this, each budget for, uh, of, uh, of the two um, projects. Um, there's no limit for production budget. And 40% um, of each budget is financed by a public German broadcaster or several broadcasters. Last words from me, um, these initiatives are a result actually of um, a long observation and a, and a complaint of some of the people. Some years ago, uh, people um, observed that we have, um, um, we really have weak film scripts for children films. So they um, founded the Academy for Children's Media. Uh, which is basically a writer's lab for uh, writers who are focusing on children film scripts. And at that time, um, a bunch of people came together that were highly enthusiastic about uh, doing something and changing <coughs> something about children films in Germany. And they were active in the Association for, for the Promotion of German Children Films, uh, where I'm a member as well. And they kind of uh, aggressively um, um, approached politicians, um, broadcasters, um, distributors. And um, after a while, uh, um, at a really good moment, the right people at the right time came together and decided to change something and to, to um, found this uh, initiative. And um, so I just want to say that uh, it's a long way, but um, it's worth, and it's worth to join forces. Thank you. Very Thank very you. Well. <laughs> okay, uh, at this point we've got 10 minutes left, and I think we should throw it open to the floor here. A lot's been raised. Uh, obviously, BFI are going forward with a consultation here. I think we'd like to see some of these things picked up, and I'm sure you've got some questions for the panel. Anne Brogan, Kindle Entertainment. Um, would uh, one of the panel um, talk us through the role of the financing exec producer and um, give us advice as to how to find the right financing exec for an action uh, kids feature film, live action? I, um, yes, there aren't many out there, and, and, and the ones that are out there, you... you to worry about whether you can trust them or not. Um, financiers are, um, are awkward people, if I can say that, because they don't really believe in communication. I hope this doesn't sound like a huge grudge and an outpouring. <laughs> but, but in my experience, they're lovely, um, but they, they refuse to communicate because to communicate means to commit. Um, and, and so it is quite difficult. I mean, I found that company, Bob & Co., and it's worth having a look at them and you know, happily make introdu introductions to people. I've got another guy who's, who's funding uh, another independent film, a live-action film. Um, and he, he's terrible at, at 
communicating and 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 yet you're going into partnership with these people um and it's it's very difficult to have to say there's, there's no body you can go to to find out where to, to to meet them uh the bfi can help a bit but they tend not to because they don't like to show favoritism or they, they, they don't know themselves i think i think it's extremely difficult in a way what we did was put a little flag up about our film and, and people came to us i think that qu can be quite rare i don't really know the answer to that question i can certainly share some contacts about who to talk to and who to not talk to. Yeah. I'll see you after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a person down the front here. And is there any at the back? The light is so against me here. Mm. There's someone on that side as well. Can we... Thanks. Hi, I'm Mark Palace. I'm from the Children's Media Foundation. I wanted to Thanks. just ask about the distinction, if there is one, between all of your work on the kids' films and other, you know, grown-up films. Are there any particular problems that you faced in producing your things that you think don't apply to grown-up films that are particular problems to the, to the kids' thing, apart from, you know, we talked initially about, uh, you know, the perception that it's not as credible, but in your experience, having trying to make these things, what kind of hurdles have you faced? It's difficult, because I was saying to Dave earlier, we don't really... If you're a filmmaker, you tend not to think of your film in, in any genre, really. You're just trying to tell the best story. And I was saying about Curse of the Were-Rabbit, to me, as a date movie, let alone a, a children's film. And, and, but as soon as you start talking to distributors or, or marketeers, they, they really bring out the, the rule book about which is which. And certainly we found with Canterville, uh, it, it started off being gloriously dark and disturbing. <laughs> Once we started talking to Lionsgate and they were offering money, it, it, it got much brighter and lighter and, and, and family and fun. Uh, and, and Oscar Wilde, God bless him, he, he was able to give us a good demographic in the story in that there are two ten-year-old boys, twins, in the family that buys the house, as well as a teenage girl who falls in love, as well as the, 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 the mother and father, and a 300-year-old ghost. So we were catering for the, you know, the whole age range. Uh, and, and as we were moving forward and, and, and getting the film more and more financed, uh, we found that we were sort of pushing towards the twins. And, and the chaos, and, and they would cause in the house. And they're quite funny, because they scare Sir Simon very quickly. Um, but we, were, we, we modified it as we went along. You know, my, my gloriously dark vision became something um, much lighter and brighter. But, uh, that's as what, but that's the basic point, is that there is no fundamental difference between the basic problems you face as an independent doing a children's film as you would as an independent in any other context. No. Uh, I it, mean, fundamentally. Yes. Uh, and this business of changing to match the finance is, is, as everyone will tell you, is crucial. Uh, and that's the battle as, as a producer, you're yeah. sort of holding on to the, 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 what's at the heart of the film whilst yeah. being prepared to shape it to, to match what's coming in in terms of finance. There was a question over here. Yeah, apologies. My question is probably to Robert as well, and you've kind of just answered it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but it was really about when your budget is slashed from 30 million to 18, yeah. which is catastrophic, I would have thought. Um, how do you even begin to start making efficiencies in that? And will the finished product meet your expectations? Oh, yeah, I, it, absolutely. The, sometimes the budget gets cut, and the first thing you do is go to the screenplay, and you start paring it down, and you get grumble a bit. But usually, by the time you finish, you think, oh, gee, I wish I'd done that in the first place, because I've lost four characters. We didn't really need them. We combined those two into that character, made it all a bit sharper. So that was actually quite a good thing. I have to say, um, a lot of the budget was saved by you know the, the travel costs and accommodation by working in Toronto and all of that, plus that studio was charging a lot more for the same job that the British studio was. So it wasn't such a drastic cut. And obviously in animation it's different to live action where you just cut a couple of locations and have them in a room, talk that bit out instead of shooting it at the top of Tower Bridge or whatever. In animation it's slightly different. Um, but we, we weren't harmed too much, I have to say. Uh, you, you just have to be smart. Of course, below a certain budget, I don't think we can uh, make the film that we've been selling our investors and the distributor, and that becomes problematic, and you have to bear that in mind at all times. Becky Parry, University of Leeds. Um, first, I want to say uh, I think we should rename the session um, Children's Film in the UK Now Remembered at last, <laughs> uh, which is fantastic, and I felt that there was lots of things to be optimistic about in, in what people were saying. Um, I wondered, and actually it's a question across the panel, um, what role do you think that we... Um, that would, could be made for the benefits of um, building the sector in terms of children's film, of the existing expertise in um, children's media that we have here, children's storytelling, children's literature, children's games and animation. We have lots of expertise, but clearly from your examples, it's tough to make the transition. So how can we, how can we help people to do that? I think, I mean, if I can perhaps start off, I mean, I think one thing um, that 
feel, certainly seems, seems to be true in terms of the projects that have been coming into the BFI Film Fund that are kind of family friendly, if you like. I think there is definitely a feeling that the quality of the script writing um, and the quality of the actual um, of, of what's been put together is not as high as the quality of the other material that's been put through. Um, and I don't know whether that is because a lot of the people who are working, because obviously there are hugely talented um, people in the UK who, and storytelling is at the very heart of our kind of tradition, if you like, mm -hmm. and I don't know whether it's because making that transition, perhaps if you're a TV writer and you're used to writing within a certain format for half an hour or 15 minutes, to then have to sort of extend that to a 90 minute, which actually is, 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 is it's a big proposition to do that, to keep your audience entertained and you know, to keep them kind of absorbed and focused for that length of time. It's a very different skill than that skill around sort of TV, which is sort of um, very different. So um, it's, it's really difficult to say, and I don't know whether it's, it's, it's a case of it's, it's, it's a retraining thing or whether actually you know, there are, once again, very experienced um, and, and talented screenwriters who are working in film at the moment, but are not actually thinking once again, as I say, about family films as being something that is kind of credible for them because they have particular, you know, and it's how we kind of encourage those people perhaps back into the industry as well. You know, if you think about, you know, sort of Ken Loach who made Kez and Black Jack and, you know, other, other filmmakers you know, who, who are kind of credible filmmakers who, 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 you know, or Alan Park with Bugsy Malone or whatever, you, you know, you might think of. Um, it's just it's just how we kind of try and re-engage those people as well and put the signs up that we're kind of ready for uh, open for business and that we want them to mm. to make films but in germany you actually had a bunch of people who went and got retrained and actually really well, focused on the script side to I, push I just, this side I up just, yeah i just remembered this uh, keynote yesterday where you have all these faces you mm. know when you approach your people and you talk about children films they're all like <laughs> you know like yeah. this uh, and i think you have to reach this uh, stage uh, maybe in the UK as well with you where, where you reach people and you say oh that's super cool and let's do something and um, it's something worth to do for the new generation and um, I think uh, maybe you have to think of the visibility of, of um, to get more children films into the UK market from from the UK Sadly, Maybe well, you also have to uh, found the Academy for Children's <laughs> Media in the UK. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that unfortunately we've run out of time. Um, but Kathy's, uh, yeah, I was going to say, Kathy. No, you just run this show. I mean, why do you, do you, do you go on? No, yes, it is. Uh, it is working. Justin, um, uh, can you tell us? Are you able to tell us? how your next couple of months are panning out in terms of the delivery of the report, what the timeline is, who are you delivering the port report to, how are they going to make their uh, deliberation upon your report manifest, what can we do to um, kind of uh, have, some you know, have some traction with, with their understanding of your report, um, and... Um, how can we continue the campaign? Because I think that what Viola has said is that you, you have to, you know, we have to have a visible and powerful campaign with, with, with high-profile supporters. And what we have to do is, is, is work with you as our um, representative within the BFI to kind of make that work and continue that, that pressure. Because really, it is only with pressure, isn't it, that... That, that, that funding and development and development support will come our way, and that and that maybe with that pressure that there is a sort of more schematic and, and approach at the BFI to tying up uh, marketing training, script development training yeah. with production and and P and A. Why is that like? Sorry, it's a sorry. Yeah, sorry, Yes, I've raised funds for that light. So uh. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean. I mean Thank you, Kat. <laughs> um, so, so from my point of view, um, I have been doing a lot of work around sort of talking to people, and I'm trying to. One of the big, most difficult things actually, but what I've been trying to do is, is get statistics from from different people, and also, and part of that is around definition of family film and definition of films for younger audiences, because it kind of crosses so many sort of different genre, if you like, and <laughs> and and it, it, it's very difficult in terms of kind of honing some of that down. Um, I'm, um, I mean, August is is kind of 
I'm going to be spending a lot of time in August actually just having to physically sort of sit down and actually kind of put everything together and actually kind of write a, a tangible report, which I'm expecting that I'll have to kind of deliver at some point in September. I mean, I think, um, as, as, as with all reports, it's something that, you know, it's something the BFI have kind of funded and it's something the BFI have, have kind of commissioned, if you like. But I think that you can take some... Um, you, know, you can, I mean, cause, and obviously a lot, of, a lot of the time when people are commissioning reports, they don't necessarily share the results because they kind of do it for their own internal purposes. But the fact that um, I've been, you know, asked to, to, to do some sort of event around it, which we're hoping will be at the London Film Festival, um, in an industry context, is, is a good sign because that actually continues the sort of the, the public dialogue, if you like, and the fact that you know there'll be sort of discussions around what it is that I end up kind of submitting to them, so to, so to speak. Um, Beyond that, to be honest, I, I, I don't really know, if I have to be completely honest. I know I have to deliver something. I know that we'll have an, we'll have an event where we talk about what the findings are, and, and, and um, I take some comfort in the fact that um, there are already films now in the pipeline. It's not like we're starting from scratch. And what, you know, I'll, I'll say something in this report, and then the, you know, I mean, obviously there will need to be some actions, hopefully, that will be taken from that. But it's not as if we're starting completely from scratch. There are already sort of, you know, sort of, you know, sort of um, seeds have been planted. There are some films starting to come out. There are more films in the pipeline. So that I kind of feel heartened by. Um, but you're right in the sense. I mean, I think after that has gone in and the event has happened, that's the point where. Um, I guess I'm, I'm assuming that Ben and the uh, from the film fund will react in some way. And um, to, to be honest, I don't really know what happens after that. But um, I'm just focusing at the moment on delivering something. And um, well, <laughs> I think you will. Yeah. I have to say, I had a meeting with someone quite seen at the BFI recently, and she was complaining that she wanted to take her son to see a film. And uh, it was either Postman Pat or Godzilla, and there was nothing in between. And I thought, well, there you are. Um, so let, let's make a film that, that, that can fit. Um, and I have to say, with the BFI, when we first took them Canterville, they said no. Um, and, and then now, a few years later, they're, they're putting over a million pounds into it. So it is about perseverance and, and, and banging on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I take heart, really, from the German example. I mean, you know, it may have taken two or three years, and they had to put together a new Screenwriters Academy around children's film to get there. But, you know, the fact that you've got a federal law now that basically says funds have to be allocated to making children's films, I think is a, is a, ma a huge, you know, sort of point to, to what we could be doing. I, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap this up, even though <laughs> you're holding the I want to thank the panel, though, for putting all that effort in. That was absolutely fantastic. And I look forward to all of you writing letters to MPs and government officials on the behalf of children's film. Because I think if you did that, Justin's job and a lot of other people's job would become a lot easier. <laughs> Take care, I'm guys. I'm going to fill a mark as well.